Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin with the Forgotten Sheep Podcast. And in this podcast, I want to share with you the story of a missionary named Alice Luce. Now, I'm going to be doing some more research on her, so you'll probably hear some more podcasts. But this is kind of an overview of Alice's life and what she accomplished. So who was Alice E. Luce? Well, she was, first and foremost, a missionary. Now, she accomplished a lot in her lifetime, and one of her major accomplishments was shaping the missionary approach used by the Assemblies of God, the theology behind the Assemblies of God's missionary uh, efforts. Uh, She joined the Assemblies of God shortly after they were started. Now, let's back up for a second. Before she was a member of the Assemblies of God, she was a missionary to India on behalf of the Episcopalian Church and funded at least in part by the Keswick Convention. She received the uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit, as it is described by Pentecostals, while she was serving as a missionary in India. Uh, She was relocated to British Columbia for a while. Then she ended up joining up with the Assemblies. So that's kind of the background on how she got involved with the Assemblies. Once she was a part of the Assemblies of God, then she went and started doing missionary work among the Latinx population, primarily Mexicans. And so then she ends up working as a missionary to Mexico. When that door closes, she starts doing work among the Latinx migrant workers in California and and starts the Assemblies of God's efforts towards correspondence school. Alice recognized that students that were interested in learning how, uh, learning theology, learning how to be a good pastor, learning how to be a good evangelist, having a solid foundation, were not always able to attend traditional colleges. And so she started doing correspondence courses. And not only did she do correspondence courses, Alice did them in Spanish and learned Spanish while she was in her 40s. So I think she's uh, a very fascinating missionary and somebody that I do admire greatly myself. So Alice Evelyn Luce was born January 23rd, 1873, the eldest of 13 children in Cheltenham, England. Her parents were J.J. and Alice Luce. You can see where she got her name. And her father was an Anglican vicar. And she was raised in a very strong Christian atmosphere. No doubt, going to church multiple times during the week, um, seeing her father do his work, all of that. And here's the neat thing, okay? If you've listened to some of my other podcasts, you've heard me make mention of the Keswick Convention. It was the Keswick Convention that sponsored Amy Carmichael um, that was tied in with uh, Reese House, lots of cool things have come out of the Keswick Convention. So, her dad was active in the Keswick Convention and was actually one of the founding members. Now, the Keswick Convention emphasized holiness of daily life and full commitment of oneself to God. Well, since Alice was a part of the Keswick Convention through her father, she was exposed to a lot of cool missionaries. Amy Carmichael, of course, J. Hudson Taylor, um, C.T. Studd, they all came across young Alice's path. So, they made a serious impression on Alice. 
Now, she was born again at the age of 10, most likely either at her father's church or at one of the Keswick Convention meetings. Now, as Alice continued to grow up, her father put a lot of emphasis on education at a time when women's education was not considered a necessity. Her dad taught her biblical Hebrew and Greek and the importance of a good solid education. Now, Alice was, uh, for a good part of her time in India, an educator, a missionary educator. So, obviously, she agreed with her father's emphasis on having a good education. Now, in 1891 through 1896, Alice attended the Cheltenham Ladies College. She also attended, uh, during. I think during that same time period, maybe... I'm not sure about this, so I'm not going to say it, but she attended some other schools. Her goal was to train for the mission field, and that included gaining skills in nursing and in teaching. So let's talk about the Cheltenham Ladies College. This was, as the name obviously implies, an all-girls school. But this wasn't a school where girls went to learn about needlepoint and literature and music, and that was it. No, Their goal was to provide young women with the same education that young men were able to get. Um, It offered the best secular education for women in its day. And here's the interesting thing. If you pull up information about Cheltenham Ladies College on the internet, one of the things that you're going to see is this very beautiful uh, building with all these attractive young ladies in long skirts and their hair all done just so. And it looks like Maybe a finishing school. Cheltenham also emphasized sports. So those same girls that you see in that picture looking all dignified and ladylike also participated in field hockey, tennis, and fencing, including Alice. I love that aspect of this school. I love that they didn't just relegate women to what was considered appropriate women's activities at that time. I love that. So... That's a little bit about Cheltenham Ladies College, about what its purpose was. And uh, it was also while she was at Cheltenham Ladies College that Alice met Pandita Ramabai. And I apologize to my Indian friends if I mispronounced that. I tried my best. She was an Indian reformer. She was a very powerful, powerful influence for good in uh, India. And she was a close personal friend of Alice Luce. So, another aspect of Cheltenham College was they did have an emphasis on missions. They had like a missions club that students who were interested in missions, interested in praying for missions, interested in raising money for missions, interested in even being a missionary themselves, could attend and learn about missionary work and learn what was going on in the world in the way of missionary work. Now, that wasn't all that Alice did through this time period. We're going to talk about that next. Alice became a part of the Deaconess Movement after completing her studies at Cheltenham Ladies College. Now, as an Anglican Deaconess at this time, she served a function kind of similar to nuns within the Catholic Church, without vows, no vows of poverty, Um, no special uh, attire, at least any attire was not as distinctive as that of the Catholic Church. And of course, they were Anglican. Now, in order to be a deaconess, one had to have strong Christian character, 
and be willing to set aside at least five years of service. And that's exactly what Alice did. Now, a deaconess also had to receive Bible school training, and it's believed that Alice received this training in London. Records show that Alice served as a deaconess in Liverpool, England, from late 1891 to early 1896. Now, um, an interesting thing about deaconesses. If you became a deaconess, if you were accepted into the quote-unquote order, then they performed a a ceremony very much like ordination. And once you were a deaconess, you were pretty much considered a deaconess for life. And it was considered honor for a person to be a deaconess. So this was a group of very committed Christian women that were there to help the poor, to help anyone in need, and work hard on behalf of the Lord. Now, while Alice was serving as a deaconess, a very prestigious accomplishment for a young Christian woman. She also worked at the YWCA, Young Women's Christian Association, and she's already started teaching. She taught courses in preaching and evangelism, and that, guys, that is going to be a part of Alice's life for the rest of her life. That seems to be the starting point of her emphasis on Christian education. Now, um, Alice's next destination was the Olives Missionary Training Home that was founded by the Keswick Convention. This was a training center for female missionaries, of which Alice was about to become. Now, the Keswick Convention founded their missionary training home for women, specifically for women, while other denominations were still trying to figure out what they were going to do with women, especially single women. Um... The role that single women are allowed to play in the mission field is largely influenced by the work of J. Hudson Taylor and some of the uh, the women that served in his missionary group, the China Inland Mission. Um, ladies in his group were able to prove that women were able to be pioneering missionaries. They were able to go into dangerous areas and come out unharmed. And they had a specific role to play in missions outside of just ministering to other ladies or ministering to children. They were found to be very excellent evangelists and preachers. Or maybe I shouldn't say so much preachers, and we'll leave it at evangelists, because most of their efforts were evangelism. So, it was at the Olives Missionary Training Home that candidates such as Alice studied for three months and learned everything from missions to medicine. Okay, they learned about missions. They learned about what was at that time accepted as the biblical approach to missions. They learned how to check for vital signs, how to give medicine, how to make um, medicinal teas from herbs that were available in the countries where they were at. They learned how to um, treat wounds, all kinds of stuff. This was kind of like a boot camp for female missionaries. I mean, they they crammed that knowledge in those young women's heads in that short amount of time. So that's another place that Alice got some education. It's believed, and let me go back a second here in my notes, um, they believe that Alice attended Cheltenham Ladies College, the London Bible School, the Deaconess Movement, and the Olives Missionary Training Home, 
all to prepare herself with a good, solid foundation, both spiritually and in terms of education, in order to be a missionary for the Lord in her destination country of India. After 14 years in the field as an Anglican missionary, Alice did have a fresh touch from the Lord. She experienced what the Pentecostal churches describe as the baptism in the Holy Spirit, or as they more often put it, the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And Alice's entire life and work was about to change for good. She she didn't just speak in tongues and then go on with her life as it has always been. No, no, things changed. She, I'm, I don't know how to explain this. I want to explain it accurately, but I'm not sure. It's been a while since I've read Alice's own description of what happened to her. But the point is that after she received the experience of the baptism, everything changed and for the better. Well, Alice was speaking in tongues. Well, and I don't know that she was doing it publicly, but somebody heard about it. And somebody basically, we'd say when I was growing up, they tattled on her. She received a letter of rebuke from a missionary society, from the ladies of the missionary society for speaking in tongues, a letter of rebuke. It didn't matter all the other changes that were taking place that were for the better. It didn't matter about a fresh anointing. It didn't matter about a closer relationship with the Lord. They were hung up on the tongues part and they rebuked her for it. And then oddly enough, this didn't faze Alice at all. She knew in her heart that what she had was from the Lord and nobody could ever talk her out of that. She knew that this was of the Lord. She knew that this was a good thing. She knew that this was what she had been praying for, even though she didn't call it that. She knew this is what she had been praying for. Now it's believed that Alice received the baptism while she was being prayed for by a, uh, a Hindu that had converted to Christianity, a woman that was a widow. Alice received the baptism from one of the local prayers of one of the local Christians, not from the missionary society. Once again, we see Alice's attitude toward the converts they made was not one of you need my guidance, but let's all share in what we have with the Lord. She saw the new converts as her equals before God. She didn't see them as inferior. She didn't see them as uh, forever going to be immature or anything like that. She saw them as her equal before God. So Alice had been touched by the Lord. Then she grew sick and she ended up uh, being sent to London. She was sent back to England. Um, There she met um, a doctor. I can't remember her name right now. It'll come up in a few more minutes. I'll have it in my notes. But I want to talk about something here. As after Alice received the baptism and before her missiology continued to change her viewpoint on the theology of missions, her understanding of how the Bible taught us to reach the lost changed as she realized they were not following the example set in the Bible. She became convinced that the church as a whole should be following the example set by Paul. New churches are planted. 
Leaders are trained, and then those churches are turned over to its new leaders, and the missionary would then move on to plant another church. Now, this involved two major issues for missionaries. Number one was humility. Humility before God, humility in connection with the converts that were made. Because they had to realize that the fact they were a missionary did not make them any better than any other Christian. And it didn't make them better than the particular ethnic group they were trying to reach. And for some missionaries, this was an issue. Not for all by far. Not for all. But for some, this was an issue. And the second one was they had to trust God that he would be able to lead these native Christians. They did not have to be the go-between between the native Christians and God. In fact, the Bible teaches us that we have a high priest, and it's Jesus Christ. And we don't need anyone to act as a go-between between us and Jesus. We can hear from the Lord directly for ourselves. The Bible tells us when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple, it was this very thick curtain that separated everything else from the holies of, holy of holies where the presence of God was. When Jesus died, that thick, thick curtain ripped from top to bottom, signifying that direct access had now been opened to God. And so the missionaries at this time As they were seeking God, they realized that direct access meant they didn't have to forever be a go-between between the local Christians and the Lord, that they could entrust those Christians to the Lord, that the Lord could lead those Christians. He could direct them. He could protect them. And so that was all a part of the change that was taking place in Alice's thought process with regard to missions. So as I mentioned, she grew sick. She was sent to London to recover, and then they sent her all the way to British Columbia. Now, I suspect they sent her there to keep her out of trouble and to keep her from being an embarrassment to the denomination, although I'm not sure of that. So, her resignation appeared the following year in their missionary periodical. Now, usually when a missionary retires, they'll discuss all of the accomplishments of that missionary and talk about how much they're going to miss them. Uh, when Alice retired, it just said she retired. So that seems to hint at their displeasure with her. So now that Alice is retired, her next destination is the United States. So once in the U.S., Alice became associated with the newly formed Assemblies of God and had her ordination transferred from the Episcopalian, I'm sorry, the Anglican Church to the Assemblies of God. Now, A major emphasis in the Assembly of God churches is missions. And Alice's Alice's experience and revelation would shape the Assemblies of God's approach to mission to this very day. To this day, her impact is felt. To this day, her influence is felt. So much so that in the early 2000s, a gentleman did a, I think it was a postdoctoral dissertation on the influence that Alice has had on missions and missionary thought. So it seems as if the Lord brought her to the right place at the right time to do the most good. Alice was accepted as a missionary of the Church Missionary Society and was funded at least in part by the Keswick Convention. She was sent to India where she would serve for about 14 or 15 years 
and while she was in India, Alice worked extremely hard with much of her much of her efforts dedicated towards teaching. She served as a teacher and as print as uh, a principal in various colleges there in India, various missionary colleges. Now, results for Alice and her fellow missionaries often seemed to be few and far between, which was very frustrating both for herself and her fellow missionaries. Alice began to grow frustrated both with her missionary work and with her personal relationship with the Lord. So she began to seek the Lord for a revival in her own heart, for a fresh touch from the Lord, for a fresh commitment to the Lord, for a deeper experience in Him. So Alice, as she was reading her Bible and seeking the Lord, also at the same time began to rethink the approach to missions that she'd been taught, believing that the missiology, as it's called, the theology of missions, the missiology that she had been taught in her education in England was not really true to the Bible. She believed that the example of Paul was the one that missionaries should be following. So let's talk about what that means. Um, Two aspects to it. One of them is not necessarily related to Pauline missions, but but is very related to the missions experience that Alice was having and what was uh, done at the time by most missionary societies, except for the China Inland Mission. Women missionaries in India were relegated either to education or what was known as Zanana work. Zanana work focused on women reaching out to women. The name is derived from the area in the home where male visitors were not allowed unless they were related by blood to the uh, woman. And basically the women were segregated. They were cut off from other people. Um, Sometimes they were cut off from society. And so by having female missionaries, by having them work with these, uh, groups, they would come in and say, hello, um, would your wife like to have sewing lessons? And so they would go in, they would be allowed into the Zanana, and during the sewing lessons, they would be uh, given an opportunity, either directly or indirectly, to share the gospel with these ladies they were with. Now, Amy Carmichael um, did some of this type of missionary work, and she also found it quite frustrating. She said far too many times the women that they were trying to reach were getting distracted by the sewing and by the appearance of the missionaries, like with Amy having, I think it was light brown hair and things like that. And so for a lot of women, this work was very frustrating. For some women, it was very fulfilling. And the point is, it's not that Zanana work was wrong. It's not that Zanana work was a bad approach. What was wrong was for all female missionaries to be forced into that type of work. Okay? There were numerous benefits to their, this approach. There were lots of women that were saved this way, but not all female missionaries were intended to do this type of work. Amy Carmichael is a good example. Amy was able to help people uh, through her rescue of young women that were intended for uh, temple prostitution and helping widows and things like that. So 
The problem with the Zenana approach is, based on what I understand and based on what I read from uh, Alice Luce, was that too many women were being forced into this mold. That was not a one-size-fits-all. Now, the second aspect, which more directly relates to Pauline missionary, missions, or Pauline missiology. The general approach to missions in Alice's time focused on planting churches with the missionaries retaining control of them. The missionaries would do pretty much all of the preaching. The missionaries would control what was done with the money. The missionaries would make major decisions. They would make decisions about the building programs and all of that. So they were winning converts, uh, say, in India or in China or in Africa. And yet when they won these converts... They didn't trust the Lord enough to lead those converts himself. They felt like these converts needed them to guide and direct them. So all major decisions were being made by the missionaries. Most of the ministry done by the missionaries. And the native Christians many times were treated as second-class citizens of the kingdom of God. Much of this attitude... And I hope I don't offend anyone with this, but based on what I've read, this is pretty much a fact, whether we like it or not. Much of this attitude can be contributed to England's notorious colonialistic attitude, where being a Christian was equated with being a good Englishman or Englishwoman, where a church had to look like churches in England. Now, not all missionaries held this idea. There were missionaries before Alice's time and before Amy's time that didn't hold this this attitude. But it was the general consensus that this was the way missions were done. There also, no doubt, were some racist influences at work. Um, I've heard of missionaries that have struggled and had to pray through racist attitudes towards the people they're trying to work with. And the Lord gave them victory over it. So, the problem with this approach to missions was that it was not an effective long-term approach. It might work in the short term, but it wasn't going to work in the long term. Many veteran missionaries in the late 1800s and early 1900s had already begun to recognize this. Example, some of the missionaries involved with the Shantung Revival in China, they were also questioning these missionary approaches. And their thought was... Okay, so what happens if suddenly we're denied access to the country anymore, which was a strong possibility in China? Or what if war breaks out, like with the Japanese, and the missionaries absolutely cannot stay? What's going to happen to the churches? Their idea was, you know what we need to be doing? We need to be training these uh, new converts training them in the Lord, and start training them how to be church leaders and Christian leaders. Train them so that they know what the Bible has to say about being a preacher, an evangelist, a pastor, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, and start giving them control over their own churches. And you know what happened? When they started giving people back, the natives, as they call them, uh, the locals, when they started giving the locals more control over the church, They found out that the Lord was able to guide them just as he had the missionaries. So, as I had mentioned, Alice was seeking a closer walk with the Lord, a closer relationship with the Lord. And to give you an insight into Alice's attitude, there's a story that she told about being asked by a Hindu woman why the signs and wonders in the Bible no longer occurred. Now, remember, Alice was raised Anglican. 
And this was before Pentecostalism became a widespread movement. So, keeping that in mind, Alice replied, and her reply shows the faith that she had in God and in the Bible. She was sure that God meant for them to continue. He meant for those signs and wonders to continue. And she was also sure they were taking place. She had never seen all of them, but that didn't mean they weren't taking place. And so that shows Alice's faith in the promises of God. And Alice's prayers for a deeper experience in the Lord were answered in 1910. After leaving Canada and coming to the U.S. and joining the Assemblies of God, Alice became closer friends with Florence Murcutt, a doctor that she had met in England when she herself had been sick. Together, she and Florence headed to Kingsville, Texas to meet with uh, Henry Ball, who was active in work among the Hispanics. Now, this was the beginning of a whole new chapter in Alice's life. This is where she would have the most impact, the most influence, and experience the most satisfaction in her work. So, in her 40s, Alice quickly added Spanish to the list of languages she spoke fluently. Now, I was rather offended when the book I was reading said, she learned this language at middle age, and I realized she was my age when she learned it. So, <clears throat> she was in her early 40s. Now, their attempts to work in Mexico were hampered. They were hampered by corrupt government officials in Mexico. They were hampered by um, some civil... Uh, I don't think it was a civil war, but it was some dangerous situations there, and they received an order from the American embassy to get out of Mexico. They were in danger. Uh, one of their group was a uh, woman named Sunshine. I can't remember her maiden name, her, but her name was Sunshine, and apparently one of the uh, Mexican generals took a strong interest in Sunshine, and <laughs> they got her out of the country. So, that said, the door closed for work directly in Mexico. So, Alice thought, okay, where else can we reach the Hispanic population? California. There were many migrant workers in California. They would come and go from Mexico. And here's the neat thing about this approach. If they, could, if they were one to the Lord, they would go back to Mexico with a testimony of what the Lord had done for them. They could go back to Mexico with Christian literature. They would be able to evangelize their own friends and neighbors. But the most important thing in this, I believe, was being able to go back to Mexico and say, Hey, Guess what? This is what the Lord did for me. I'd like to see him do that for you too. And so Alice began to prepare tracts in Christian literature. Not in English, but in Spanish. And then, as this work was going on, she and her fellow workers saw there was a need for the Hispanic converts to receive Bible training. To get a good foundation in what the Lord taught us in the Bible about how to live and the attitudes we should have. And, and to train preachers and evangelists and pastors and Sunday school teachers. So that they could plant their own churches in Mexico and have their own churches. And that's what the Lord began to start. That's what the Lord began to do. So... For those who couldn't attend a traditional Bible school, 
Alice began a correspondence school. All the course materials were in Spanish, and Alice prepared most of them. So she essentially founded the Correspondence School of the Assemblies of God, first Correspondence School of the Assemblies of God, I believe it would be Berean, uh, and then the Latin American Bible Institute. She was an integral part of developing that school, LABI. All right, so if you look up, if you go to the uh, Flower Pentecostal Heritage Center online, they have lots of digital pictures. Some of them are Alice, but most of them are Alice with the graduates from these Bible schools. And I think that's exciting. I think it's wonderful. I'm looking at one now, It and I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing the Spanish correctly. I don't speak Spanish, but it looks like the Instituto Biblico Latino Americano de California. So that's my attempt at it. Please forgive me if I have butchered your native language. I do apologize. Uh, there's other pictures that show her at uh, Florence Ball's church with some of their graduates. So many pictures of her with graduates of these Bible schools. And it's exciting to think of the impact that she was able to have. Now, I want to point something out. This impact that Alice had. Her most important work started in her 40s, guys. If you're in your 40s or your 50s or your 60s or your 70s or your 80s or your 90s, it doesn't mean that you're too old for the Lord to use. It doesn't mean you're too late to start a new work for the Lord, to start a new effort for the Lord. It doesn't mean that. What it me- And I think Alice is a great example of that and an encouragement for someone like me who has had major upheavals in my life in the last several years that have totally changed everything I thought my life would be. And if you're like me and you're looking back and you're thinking, you know what, nothing has turned out like I intended, maybe, maybe the Lord is preparing you for a work that you can do part-time or full-time that will have more, will have a huge impact. As I said earlier, it seemed like the Lord got Alice to the U.S. where she was going to have the greatest impact, the most significant impact, and the most satisfying work. So if you, you're older than 20, and you think, I'm too old to go into the ministry. I'm too old to do a work for the Lord. I'm too old to be of any use to the Lord. That's a lie from the devil. And I want you to know that the devil is a liar. And that is not coming from the Lord. That is not coming from the Lord. That's coming from the devil. So all of that said, that's what Alice spent the majority of her life from that point on doing. Educating, educating, educating with a strong, strong emphasis on the Lord. And she, um, I'm afraid I don't have the notes right here in front of me, but in her, uh, as she was getting into her 80s, Alice got a report from the doctor that she had developed cancer. And she didn't have much time left. So Alice called a couple of friends that were ministers in the Assemblies of God, and she said, listen, I don't have a lot of time left. I have cancer. In short, I'm dying. So here's what I want to have happen. The house that I'm living in now, I want it to go to the young woman who has been working with me and helping me keep house and, you know, kind of uh, 
assisting Alice in her older years. She said, I want her to have the house. When she passes away, the house goes back to the Assemblies of God. I think maybe more specifically, it would go toward the Latin American Bible Institute. She said, I already have uh, purchased and purchased a gravesite. She was one of the early individuals to buy plots in Forest Lawn Cemetery in California. And that was, that was it. That was, she wasn't worried. She wasn't stressed out. She wasn't fearful. The Lord that she had followed all her life, had trusted all her life, she now trusted to take care of her in her elderly years and as she was about to die. And Alice did pass away. She passed away peacefully in her home in California. And there were two funeral services held for Alice, one in the morning and one in the afternoon, one in English and one in Spanish. So that's what I wanted to share with you about Alice Luce. As I said, there will be more um, more podcasts about her, but I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope that in some way this spoken to you. So thank you for listening to this podcast.